Hello, and welcome to another episode of Stories from the World. This is David Robert Farmerie. In this week's episode, I have decided to share several short stories with you instead of one long one. Also, I have decided to try something new. Uh-oh, I hear some of you say, but fear not, because when I do add this something new, ooh, that rhymes, I have decided to put it at the end of a podcast episode instead of at the beginning so those that have no interest don't have to listen to it. Okay, okay, all right, David, get to the point. And to the point I shall get. This new thing is a bit of music. I had mentioned in a previous podcast episode how much music means to me, how much it moves me, how much it helps me through life as a whole. So I thought, you know, I probably have listeners out there that feel the same way about music, so I should share some of this with them. I had also mentioned in that episode about a TV series that I had stumbled upon and become addicted to, and also addicted to the music of the soundtrack. For those of you that may be interested in this, the name of the TV series is Broken Wood Mysteries, and it is on Acorn TV. And in honor of that, the first piece of music that I will introduce you to, again at the end of this episode, is a song by Marlon Williams from New Zealand. But first, the stories. As I mentioned, on this episode, I will share four stories. How do you serve? Gardening in the rain. The possible demise of the Hasidic culture. And the wheelchair versus the stroller. Story one, how do you serve? A few weeks ago, my sister-in-law had posted a photograph to her Instagram account, and with it there was a caption that simply read, How do you serve? As it turns out, the post, including the caption, was in regards to serving at one's church. But for me, it sparked a considerable amount of thought, and even more so, a considerable amount of self-reflection. For me, the thoughts as well as the self-reflection had nothing to do with the original meaning of her question, which is, how do you serve in your church? For me, the question went much deeper. I took the question immediately upon reading it as, how do I serve humanity? So for me, as I began to reflect and look within, the first question that I had to ask myself is, do I serve humanity? And then, of course, the question of how do I serve humanity? And that led to the question of, do I serve humanity every day? And if so, how often during each and every day? And before I continue with this thought process of self-exploration, I want to pose these questions to you. Do you serve humanity? And if so, how and how often? And before you look within to answer these questions, let me just clarify things a little bit more. What exactly does it mean to serve humanity? When I initially asked myself this question, I realized that the answer was really quite varied. It could be from the very simple 
to nearly the extravagant. For me, and I'm the only one that I can speak about with authority, my means of serving or my actions to serve humanity were really quite varied. As I began to gain clarity on this, I also began to have more questions. And one of those questions was, is there a level of serving humanity that is so small that it is actually insignificant and can't be considered serving humanity? Which led to another question. What actually constitutes significance? The answer to this question came from an experience that I had many, many years ago with one of the elders of a Lacadon community. In fact, I had actually talked about this in a previous podcast. I think it was the one on authenticity. The answer is, if the act of serving, regardless of whether it is big or small, if that act of serving comes from the heart, authentically, genuinely, and without any agenda behind it or attached to it, then it is significant. So with that in mind, I ask you again, how do you serve? Story two, gardening. This may seem an unlikely topic or story for this podcast series, but my thought is that just like I believe there are listeners out there who love music and are moved by music, I believe that I also have listeners who also love gardening. But let me clarify here at the onset that this is not a podcast episode or a story about the ins and outs or the how-tos of gardening. It is, however, a story about a personal journey that happens to be my personal journey through gardening. If I recall correctly, back in season one, I did an episode that was essentially the story of me. And in that episode, I talked a little bit about my introduction to gardening. So if I am repeating myself to some of you, my apologies. For me, my love of gardening came directly from my grandmother. She was an amazing gardener, an amazing lover of nature, and she is the one that taught me the joy of all of those things. So I suppose, at least in part, that gardening takes me back to the times with my grandmother. Not directly, of course. It's not that every time I garden, I think back to moments with my grandmother. But I believe that deep down within me is that place that gets revisited each and every time. Ever since I entered my adult years, you know, that time where I moved off and had a place of my own, I have always had a garden. But once I moved here to Middle Tennessee, it was a struggle, and primarily because of the soil. In fact, anyone who lives here, if you talk about gardening of any kind, whether it's vegetables or flowers, they will immediately just roll their eyes and say, oh, the soil. So for years, I have amended the soil year after year after year, and each year, I have to start all over again. Somehow, it seems that the clay and the rocks overtake all of the amendment that I put into the soil and reclaim it for their own. But this year, I bit the bullet and I had soil brought in. You see, for me, gardening is truly about life. It's about bringing life into the world, as odd as that may sound. And then once the plants grow and the flowers bloom, it is that celebration of life. Again, for me, 
every time I walk up the sidewalk or I walk out through one of the garden beds or even look out of the window just to see all of the flowers growing. It literally rejuvenates my soul each and every time. And not just that, but it rejuvenates my creative soul. Never do I feel so alive than when I'm walking through a garden. And over the past few years, increasingly with each year, I have begun starting the plants from seeds out on my deck. This began as a very pragmatic process because it was easier to start growing the plants that I needed because I needed so many. But it has actually turned into this incredible and again, rejuvenating process for me. But I must admit that it has also become such a frustrating process because for me, on many things, I'm pretty patient. But when it comes to this, you know, I plant the seeds and it's like, I just want to see plants growing the next day. And of course, you know, that doesn't happen. But still, every morning I go out on the deck and I check. Now, here we are in the early part of June and the majority of my plants are already planted into the garden beds. But I noticed today that there were still quite a few that were on the deck and really, really needing to be put in the ground. So I gathered up the seedlings and I went outside with my little shovel and started putting them into the garden bed. After about five minutes, when I was only about maybe a third of the way through planting, it began to rain. As the rain started to fall on my back, my initial instinct was to go inside, but it was almost instantaneously, in fact, it really was instantaneously, that that thought was abrupted and replaced by the thought of, wow, this is just magical. And as I continued to plant and feel the rain falling on my back and on my head, I realized how long it has been since I actually just stood in the rain. And in that moment, I realized that I was completely surrounded and totally immersed into nature right there in my front yard for the next several minutes while I continued to plant all of the seedlings, the street, the other houses, everything around me except the garden and the rain and the plants disappeared. Yes, to me, that is pure magic. Story three. This story, as well as the story that follows, are two stories that I have been wanting to tell for quite some time now. And now that I think back, ironically, this story, actually the next two stories, occurred the very morning after the whole thing with my sister-in-law and her Instagram post. You just gotta love life and its ironies. A couple of months ago, while I was in Phoenix, I started my day at a local cafe called Cartel Coffee. This cafe is located in the heart of the university district, which made perfect sense regarding the conversations that I overheard. I have to tell you, it was a perfect Phoenix early morning in spring. And because of that, I sat outside. There were only three tables because COVID was still quite prevalent. At the table to the left of me was a young man. He was sitting there alone, reading a book and periodically sipping his coffee. At the table to my right 
was a man, I'd say possibly in his late 30s, and across the table from him was a younger woman, probably in her early 20s. They were talking about a whole lot of things, all seeming to be academic in nature. Honestly, I tried my best not to listen, but not overhearing them was truly quite impossible. At one point, I finally gathered that the woman was a grad student and the man was her professor or advisor, again, based on their conversations. The first of the two conversations that caught my full attention was one regarding Hasidic Jews. And from the sound of it, the woman who was putting forth this story was of that culture, as she seemed to have a great deal of knowledge, insight, and even a closeness to it. Anyhow, the premise of her thesis that she was presenting was how social media is changing the Hasidic culture. The issue that she was stating was that social media, with its prevalent access to all, was causing many of the younger Hasidic Jews to question their traditions. Social media, as she put it, was opening up the entire world to a culture that had strived to keep itself closed down from the outside world. Then she presented two sides of this growing issue. The benefit, she stated, to those within the community has always been security. Security of the community and the security of always knowing what to expect. Because within the Hasidic community, there are rules, rules that must be adhered to. And because of the adherence to these rules, life within this culture remains very predictable. And therein lies a sense of safety. But with the influence of social media, young Hasidics especially are seeing another way of life, a much freer life than the one that they have. And to some, again, especially the younger ones, this is very appealing. But for those who gravitate towards this freer kind of life, they are no longer welcomed within the Hasidic community, and hence the loss of security that this culture, this community, provides. The woman continued on with many more details, but you get the gist of what she was talking about. And overhearing this conversation caused me to contemplate this situation for the remainder of the day and then some. Many who are outsiders looking in may think that this exposure to the outside world is a good thing. And perhaps it is. It's not for me or any other outsider to judge. But I believe that it does bring up questions, not so much to be answered, but rather to be pondered. And perhaps through that pondering, we can all gain a better understanding into this and all cultures, especially those living within the United States, as they tend to be our neighbors, literally, as well as metaphorically. Story 4. The second of the conversations that I overheard and presented from the same table to my right at Cartel Coffee was another one of those things that was not so much a story, but a thesis. This time, it was presented by the man. He stated that he had attended a lecture by a professor whose name escapes me. And as part of this lecture, she presented a study that had been conducted. The premise was the wheelchair versus the stroller. The study looked at how we, as society, look at each of these devices, which are essentially the same. 
Yet society tends to perceive them quite differently. Now, I have to admit, this is something I never would have thought about on my own. But as soon as he mentioned this, all of a sudden my brain just lit up and started to fire all these neurons or whatever it is that fires in there. And it got my brain thinking. As he continued, he said that society as a whole, generally speaking, of course, when someone sees a stroller on the sidewalk or being pushed towards them or wherever, they tend to see the stroller and then the baby in it. And then the stroller becomes quite insignificant. It's about the baby and, oh, how cute that baby is. And, oh, look, it's a new baby and on and on and on. And then the viewer tends to see the person pushing the stroller. And that person is generally perceived as the mother or the caretaker. And, oh, what a wonderful person. And, oh, she must be so loving because she's pushing this baby and the baby looks happy. And as I thought about this, I realized that also with regard to the baby stroller, that when people see a baby being pushed along, they tend to stop and engage in conversation with the person pushing the stroller, and they also engage with the baby in the stroller. He then talked about how society, according to this lecture, perceives the wheelchair. The lecturer said that society as a whole, and generally speaking, when they see a wheelchair, the first thing they notice is the wheelchair, and then they see that there is a person in it. And sometimes and sometimes not, they don't even notice if someone is pushing it. And if they do, the person who is pushing it is insignificant. Also, as someone sees a person in a wheelchair, the immediate response within their brain is of tragedy or something tragic. And believe it or not, the primary focus is still on the wheelchair itself because the wheelchair is an outward expression or a physical representation of disability. And then that perception, that interpretation, becomes the interpretation or the perception that they then have of the person who is in the chair. And again, if someone is pushing the chair, they still remain completely insignificant and unnoticed. Instead of being perceived as a caretaker, as someone who is loving. Unfortunately, it was time for me to leave as I had an appointment, so I was unable to hear the rest of this presentation, this lecture. But nevertheless, my brain was on fire, and again, for the remainder of the day, this stuck with me. In fact, for days afterwards, this stuck with me. I even talked with people about it because I wanted to hear their interpretation on this. And I wanted them to think deeply within themselves as to how they perceive both of these very similar yet very different objects. I would be very curious as to what you think. So please ponder this and afterwards drop me an email. Let me know what your perspective is on this. You can find my email address in the show notes or on my website at davidfarmerie.com. I hope you enjoyed the diversity of this week's podcast episode. And as always, I thank you most sincerely for allowing me to share with you these stories from the world. And as promised for those of you who have stuck around, 
Marlon Williams from New Zealand. This clip is from his song, Everyone's Got Something to Say. If you'd like to keep abreast of upcoming workshops, lectures, or new releases of my fine art prints, sign up for my mailing list at davidfarmerie.com. You have my sincere word that you will not be spammed, nor will I give or share your information with anyone. You have been listening to Stories from the World, copyright 2021, David Robert Farmerie, all rights reserved.